Good. Let's turn in our Bibles here to Ephesians 6. And this is going to be an adventure because uh, I have really, hmm, where should we go? I'm going to figure it out with you. Praise God, Ephesians chapter 6. You know, there's a flood tide, there's a, there's a change. I, I, I just sense in the spirit. There's, there's a, we, we have flipped a switch in the spirit. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the body of Christ for the nation. It's going to show up in the natural realm, but I believe we have made a turn. I believe the body of Christ is awake. I believe that we're praying, and we need to not let up. Through the election and beyond. And we need to get the devil firmly, our foot firmly on his neck and keep it there until Jesus catches us away. Don't go back and get lazy and lack, lackadaisical in prayer and let the enemy have the ground that he has had in our nation the last 40 or 50 years. But there's revival in the land. Amen. And it's a wonderful thing. So the Lord has had us here in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll read again, uh, beginning in verse number 10. And he's uh, pointing us to the armor of God. And we're just gleaning things out of it as he helps us and enables us. But he was very specific with me in my heart, saying, keep the teaching on the armor of God connected to the prayer life. Amen. And you'll see why that's true if you've not been with us. Um, you could go back on our podcast, our website, and catch up on these messages. But Paul said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We are to be strong spiritually, not weak. Whether or not you and I are strong in the Lord is completely and totally up to us. Amen? Praise God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on half of the armor of God. That'll be good enough. No. Put on the whole. Put on the complete armor of God. That you may be able... Man, you could stop and preach on that. Why are Christians defeated? Well, you know, God's got a plan. Yeah, He's got a plan for us to be victorious. <laughs> Not a plan for us to be defeated. Why are we defeated? Well, because we have not put on the whole armor of God. We walked out into a world where Satan is God without being dressed for confrontation, dressed for battle. Oh, he just blasphemed. He said that Satan was God. No, I didn't. The Bible did. You want to see that for yourself? Keep your finger here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I could quote it to you. You could probably quote it, but let's let our eyes look on it. Let's actually look at verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4, 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. That's tragic. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why don't your friends believe? Because the God of this world, yeah, has blinded their heart. Lest or unless the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Lucifer, Satan, is called by many names in the Bible. Here, he is named by his current title on planet Earth. 
he is the God, little g, of this world. Now, if you'll get a hold of that, if you haven't, that revelation, it will untangle you where you have been knotted up with a great many questions. How come all the death? How come all the riots? How come? If there's a God, where is he? Yeah, he's up there where he's always been. He's up there where he has always been. Amen? Go to Psalm chapter 8. Let's go to another place here. Psalm chapter 8. You, you and I need to be firmly established in knowing why things are the way they are. And we should not put any failure, any heartache, any tragedy, anything like that at the feet of our Father. Our Father is good. Our Father is kind. Our Father is wonderful. He, didn't, he, he never has had anything to do with death or fear or torment or loss or grief or tragedy, hunger, poverty, torment, nothing like that. I wouldn't serve a God like that. If I found out God was like, was like that, I would go back to drinking beer. That's what I would do. That's just me. Amen. Psalm chapter 8. Uh, look at uh, verse number 3. He says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man, this is the thought that came to David, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visitest him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. That's a terrible translation. If you know anything about the Hebrew and the original, uh, the King James translated, God bless them, they just didn't have the courage, they didn't have the chutzpah to translate that properly. It's not angels. It's the Hebrew word Elohim. And the word Elohim is translated 500 some odd times in the Bible as God, G-O-D in your Bible, in your English Bible. 500 times in the Old Testament alone, the word Elohim is G-O-D in your English Bible. Why did they put it here? Because they, they just were too small in their thinking to think this could not be true. We can't say it like that because what that would really mean is that God has made man a little lower than God. And I understand why that's kind of a mouthful to swallow. But they, they maligned the scripture by not just getting out of their head and writing what was written in an English translation. One translation of this says, For you have made man, made him a, a shade lower than God. Now, you're not God, I'm not God. But we're made in the God class. In the beginning, God said, let us make man how? In our image. Not in an angel's image. You think, oh, if I could just be an angel. You'd have to be demoted. I'm serious. We have authority with angels. Angels, they regard and respond to our voice as we echo God's word. Anyway, I'm going somewhere. Amen, but that was good too. For God has made man a little lower than God, Elohim, and has crowned him with glory and honor. Notice the sixth verse. You made him to have what? You made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Amen. So, and I thought about, I don't know, I'm just getting less and less likely as I get closer. I was thinking that I'm going to take a month-long sabbatical in November, and I still might. 
I've been doing this for almost 19 years. It will be 19 years without a, you know, a day off here and day off there. And, uh, you know, but if I did that and I said, I, uh, if, I, if I say, Brett, I'll see you in December. If they die, bury them. <laughs> if they're sick, visit them. But don't call me for months. I'm giving you, and I gave him the keys. And I gave him the church credit card. And I said, I'll see you in a month. I'm going to rest. And I came back, and the church had been burned to the ground. The people had been scattered. Right? Everybody's swapping wives, and I mean, it's just all gone nuts. Would I? No, who's, who am I going to look to? God created man and put him on a planet suited for himself and tossed him the keys. Not very long into it, Adam turned around and tossed the keys to Lucifer. And that's the day he became the God of this world. And he's behind the molestations, and he's behind the rapes, and he's behind the wars, and he's behind the fear, and he's behind the sickness. He is behind the death. Glory to God, but what you go back to Ephesians, what we have found out, glory to God, is that God has enacted and He has already accomplished a plan of redemption for humanity. Adam sold us all out into the dominion of Satan. I said, Ephesians, keep your finger there. Go to Colossians. I'm going to show you something else. Colossians chapter 1. Glory to God. And see, because every human being that's come forth, I don't care what their color, I don't care what the shape of their eyes are, uh, it doesn't matter. We all came from those first two parents, Adam, Eve, Noah. You know, Ancestry.com is going to take you all the way back to Shem, Ham, or Japheth, one of them. I'm still waiting on Amber to tell me which one. Amen. The one that did right. Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, according, you know, I don't know if you did it, but I told you to read Romans 3, 4, 5. Read it over and over again. You'll find out that all of us have sinned because we had the sin nature passed to us. Where did we get it? From our first parents. Doesn't matter how much good works you do, you still got the sin nature to deal with. And we were brought into subjection to the devil when Adam sold us out. But look at redemption. Look at redemption. Colossians 1, verse 12. One of my favorite passages, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath, that means has, or it's already done, past tense. He has made us meet. We don't talk like this anymore. He made us able. It's already done, Sister Rita. He has made you able. He has made Alice able. He has made Chris able to what? To be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now notice verse 13. Who has delivered us from the power, that word is authority, of darkness. Another word, if it, the Cody translation would say, God is, He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. What's that mean to the believer? It's been this way all your born-again life. All your born-again life, since the moment the angel wrote your name in his book, Satan lost his dominion over your life from that moment. The sad thing is, is sometimes it takes decades 
for a Christian ever to realize that if they ever do. And because they don't know it, they don't act like it. And they don't know and act like it, so Satan acts like he's still got what he does not have. Trying to. I am not under the dominion of sickness anymore. Sickness is a work of Satan. That's part of his dark kingdom. I'm not living there. I'm not a citizen there. I'm not subject to that. I don't care what he wants to do to me. He cannot. Oh, I know that makes religious devils mad. That must be why I bound religious devils before the service in prayer. I am not subject to Satan. He cannot do anything to me any old time he gets around. He just gets the thought. Because he doesn't have the right to do that to me anymore. He doesn't have the right to do that to you anymore. But he will. He won't regard the word that you don't know. He's not going to conform to the word that you're not walking in the light of. He's a thief. He's a trickster. He does not care. He's not walking around going, you know, I really shouldn't do that to them because they're not under my dominion. No, he's going to do it. But see, if you, believer, will rise up and have a spiritual backbone more like a crowbar than a wet spaghetti noodle and stop falling apart every time something hard and difficult comes along, recognize that the source of the difficulty is not God. He didn't author a trial or a test. He will use it, but he did not author it. He is not behind it, and he is the one that will get you out of it. Every one of you who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you should be as bold and confident as I am about this. Because this is you. Kara, this is you. Karen, this is you right now today. Kelly, it's you. Everything that Satan is behind, we are redeemed from. And God, through redemption, has made you, Kim, able. You're not unable. You are able to partake of the fullness of your inheritance. But you have to do it. I have to do it. I have to say, pass them potatoes. You have to scoop them out, right? If my wife makes dinner, and man, it's on the table... I am able to partake of my inheritance, but she's not going to spoon feed it to me. Neither is God. You are able to say, pass the healing. I'll take twice, two portions of that. I'll take a little prosperity over here. And over that filet mignon, I'm going to pour some gravy called the peace of God and the joy of the Lord on there. And eat it. Everyone say, eat it. Amen. I don't know people out there going, he's kind of a different kind of guy. Thank God. Paul said, I could see him. Paul said, if we are fools, for Christ's sake, it's for you, you know. We've lost our minds, it's for you. (laughs) I'm able. Don't think I'm not able to receive healing. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Don't, don't think I'm not able to fulfill my calling. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I just couldn't, I'm drowning in debt. I could, it's just too far gone. I just, not for God. Not for God. All God has to do is wink your direction and all your debts are going to run away. 
Nothing's too hard for the Lord. No disease is too far gone. You've got breath in your lungs. You could be healed. You could be raised up. Care if you've walked in poverty all your life. And you're 89. God can turn around and make the last 11 years or however long you want to live on this planet the richest, the fullest, the most abundant. Make the devil pay for 89 years of death and destruction and just make him restore it to you and then blaze out of here in a blast of glory and go home to heaven rich and blessed. Oh, I don't know. That sounds... You've got you to gotta stop all that mess. If this book says, Chris is able to partake of my inheritance, which includes peace of mind, a sound mind, a sweet marriage, a good family, then I can have it. And it doesn't matter how many times you messed up. Put your breastplate of righteousness on. So it's a Bible fact that every child of God is right now today delivered from the dominion of Satan. You can yield it back to him through ignorance, disobedience and rebellion, or sin. And every inch of ground you give to the devil, he will take it. He will take it. Amen. Look at verse 14. In whom? Talking about in whom? Who's the whom? In Christ. In Jesus, in Christ, we, does it say we will have? What's it say? We have. So could you say, biblically, I have. We don't know what's coming next, but I have. In Christ, I have. In whom, I have. I'm not trying to get it. And if the Bible says I have it, I don't have to fast for it. Y'all are fasting. Good. God bless you. If God tells you to fast, you better do it. I don't remember the last time I fasted. Maybe I'm in disobedience. But anyway, I just don't have God tell me a lot about that. But praise God. But I'm not going to fast for this. Because this says I have it. I'm not going to pray an extra prayer. I'm going to accept it as a Bible fact because it is. Oh, but I haven't been a very good Christian last year. Does that change this? It doesn't change this. The moment you pick this up and start walking in the light of it, it will begin to manifest in your life. That's why I'm not trying to be righteous. I am. And I'm not taking credit for it. Because he made me that way. I'm not trying to be healed. I am that. I'm in Christ. And he's not sick. I'm not trying to get prosperous. I am prosperous. Because I'm in Christ. Colossians says in the other place, for you are dead. Don't forget that. Joy, dead, dead. That old joy, she's dead. Like stinky dead, like buried dead. Dead. Where is she? Her life is hidden in Christ with God. So's mine. So's yours. And like my wife so skillfully said Wednesday night, hidden away in the presence of God, beyond the reach of the coronavirus. I've already been vaccinated. I've been vaccinated by Psalm 91. I'm not trying to mock. I'm not trying to make fun. I'm trying to get over to you a biblical mindset that is truthful 
and reality. And it's not just church stuff that's not true in your life out there. If you will believe it and accept it, that's what you'll have out there. That's what you'll have. And when you have it, be sure to give him all the credit and all the glory. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm still trying to read Colossians here. In whom we have, what do we have? Redemption. Redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Everything I have in redemption is mine. Everything Jesus bought, everything Jesus suffered for, everything Jesus purchased, it is all mine. It is all yours. I know, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven someday. Redemption includes that. But redemption means more than that. Redemption means more than that. So Ephesians chapter 6, uh, praise God. We'll close with a thought here. Y'all getting anything out of this? Amen. Come on, do you feel yourself you know, going like that a little bit? Come on, that's what ought to happen to you at church. Y'all just... Whoa. I'm not hunting devils, but I'm not afraid of them. And if the devil wants to come against my finances, he's going to tuck tail and run when I'm done with him. He's going to be embarrassed. He wants to attack my mind with filth. I'm going to run him off. With a fresh bruise. Jesus bruised him. He's got an eternal bruise. Satan does. Right there on his forehead. Jesus has an eternal bruise on the bottom of his foot. Never forget that. When Satan shows up, just point at his bruise and remind. He won't stay very long. It's a nice little wound you got there. It's 6,000 years. You know, 2,000 years since that happened. That hadn't healed a bit, has it? He won't stay. He's like, yeah, you get it. Jerry Gray gets up in the morning and puts his foot down. The devil ought to go, woo! And all of his sickness and all of his worries and all of his cares and all of his poverty and all that stuff. You know, if I don't run the spiders out of my house, they'll be there. They'll stay. <laughs> Amen. All right. So he says, verse 13, Take uh, unto yourself the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. You could never get done preaching on that, but I just got to move on. And verse 15 says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the good news of peace. Let's make a comment about that before we go. The Moffat's translation of that phrase says this, have your feet shod with the stability of the gospel of peace. Shod means to bind upon your feet. Put on a sandal. Put on what? The stability of the gospel. Read a little bit more before I make comment. The NIV 2011 translation says it this way. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. Readiness for what? Confrontation with the devil. The New Living Translation says this. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from God or from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. supposed to be wearing peace every day. Wear it to the office. Come on. Wear it in the home. 
my wife, she's always been, I'm getting there, but she's always been a big fan of house shoes. Especially in the wintertime, you know. And that's about the first thing she does, slide those feet out. That's what you ought to be. You slide your feet out of that. Peace, peace. Gospel, the gospel. I bound the gospel to my feet. The message translation says this. Peace is an indispensable weapon. You not yielding to the drama. The more and more I live, the less tolerant I am of drama. And some people seem to attract it like a magnet. That's one thing that I can say I appreciate about our last president. They called him no drama, Obama. He just kind of had a mode. He just going to do what he does, just have a mode. Amen? I used to be the yo-yo guy. Up one day, down the next day. On a high, let's kill myself today. I mean, just crazy stuff. Amen? The peace of God, the kind of peace that Jesus left us. He said, my peace I leave with you, not the kind of peace the world gives. Right? Think about our brothers and sisters living in cities like Seattle or Portland. They're not supposed to be troubled. They ought to get up every day and put all their armament on. And one of them is the gospel of peace on their feet. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, let me read this to you from the Amplified Translation. It's probably my favorite. The Amplified Translation says this, And having shod your feet in preparation. You know, you show up in battle without your boots on, we know you are not ready. We look down, we look at you, you got a helmet, you got a sword, you got a shield, we look down, and you ain't got no shoes on. I don't want you in my foxhole. You can't charge at the enemy going like this. You're going to get knocked off your feet. You are not ready. I don't want someone around me in a major fight with the devil who's not ready. I need deacons who live ready. I need department heads who live ready. Come on. I need laity and a whole church that live ready for whatever the devil wants to bring along. Praise God. Hallelujah. I need family members around me that live ready. Thank God I have that. Glory to God. Having your feet shod in preparation, I like this, to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness and the readiness that is produced by the good news. Woo, I like that. That phrase, that's, I didn't have anything else to preach to you today except firm-footed stability. Oh, my goodness. Come on, doesn't that sound good? Firm-footed stability. I have built a foundation that goes with me everywhere I go. It is bound to my feet. Glory to God. This piece of armor is not just peace. I found that out in studying this week. Amen. This piece of armament is the peace, the total soundness and well-being produced by the full gospel. He is saying, put on the fullness of all that the gospel has made available to you as a foundation for you to stand. Some people, they thank God they, they, they have limited the gospel to getting saved, right, going to heaven. But that word saved doesn't just mean to get to go to heaven. It means preservation. 
It means soundness of mind. It means prosperity in finances. It means to be rescued. It means to be delivered. It means to be healed. And it means to be healthy. Glory to God. Amen. We need to uh, uh, go beyond the cross to the upper room. Where did they go, those disciples? They went from the cross. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. And they, they write their next step. So if you've gotten saved, but you haven't gone to the upper room, you're behind. You need to get to the upper room and get filled with the Holy Ghost. That's part of your inheritance. That's part of the gospel. Amen. Then they went out from the upper room and went into discipleship. Learning, training, equipping, practicing their faith. And then they went into the uttermost parts of the earth, carrying all that. And then Paul comes along and he says, oh, you, you've not just been made righteous. You are the rich, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You are the healed. You are, come on. And, and he just began, the New Testament is full of nuggets and uh, explanation of all that the gospel has provided for you. That's what Paul is saying. Put it all on. Don't put on the saved I'm going to heaven part and forget the healing part of the gospel or the prosperity part of the gospel. You say, well, prosperity is not part of the gospel. Oh, yes, it is. Luke 4, 18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Gospel means good news. What's good news to a poor man? You don't have to be poor no more. That's good news to a poor man. All right, right? You don't have to be poor no more. Jesus said, I'm anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. You just want to expand your thinking. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, it says that to four, uh, that God preached the gospel to Abraham. I thought, man, I didn't think the gospel was preached until John the Baptist showed up. Oh, no, God's been preaching the gospel for thousands of years. The Bible says in Galatians 3, 8, that he preached the gospel to Abraham. And do you know what it says nothing about heaven in, in what God told to Abraham? What's he mean that God preached the gospel to Abraham? When he said, go into a land that I'll show you and I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. He preached, that's him preaching the gospel. So what's the gospel? To be blessed. That's good news. Instead of being cursed, instead of living under the dominion of the devil, instead of being bound by the cords of sin and experiencing the curse of fear and worry and doubt, mental torment, depression, oppression, sickness, disease, accidents, tragedy, poverty, we can come into the blessing. And Paul called it the gospel. It's not quiet on me, but I can see you're thinking. The gospel is the sum total of everything that Jesus purchased for you in redemption. Paul said in a little nugget we often pass by, he said, put that on your feet. Because it will give you firm-footed stability. See, maybe the enemy won't knock you off your feet with condemnation because you know you're saved and going to heaven. But if you don't know the gospel part about your body, then you're not going to be firm-footed when it comes to that. 
If you haven't received and established your life in the gospel part of prosperity, then you're not going to live your life firm-footed when it comes to finances. Take it all. Possess it all. Develop it all. And that's why church is so important, guys. That's why church is so important, because we can't get everything over to you in a single service. There's so much to say. God has done so much. There's so much to tell you. So much to teach you about what's available, how to access it, how to walk in it, how to keep the devil off your territory. So I'm just, I know you're here, right? But I want to admonish you as we go through these last days. Don't let anything interrupt your commitment to the house of God. Stay with it. Stay committed. Because we are only going to need this more. I'm going to need you more. According to Hebrews 10.25. And you're going to need me more. That's what you need to be thinking. I'm making room in my life for the more when it comes to church, not the less. Because every service, every time we come together ought to be, right, a place where we've taken a step forward. We're possessing more ground. We got another lugget of light. We changed our thinking over here. And now when I go face the enemy, I'm more firm-footed. I'm on a firmer footing when I left that church service. And I'm not going to let it go. I didn't just come to church, check it off the list. Church is school. And there will be a test. Amen. Stand up on your feet today. Stand up on your feet.